Testament, James chapter 5. You want to never underestimate your potential of how God can use you. I was uh, reading about a man by the name of Jeff Jernigan. He writes in a book, The Power of a Loving Man. He recounts one of the great experiences of life, and that is junior high math class. And his situation was he never really did a whole real good in math, but he figured out that he, uh, he could cheat his way and uh, actually get a pretty good grade. And that spared him having to work hard. And that all worked out just fine for him until about eighth grade when his teacher caught him cheating. We might say he was busted. All of a sudden, he was now being confronted by his teacher. And yet, this one man, this teacher, did something um, totally unexpected. You would expect what? Down comes the heavy hand of the law, right? This boy perishes, right? And he's no longer ever seen from in the school system. But no, he, he doesn't do that. He, instead of turning him in uh, to his parents, making him the subject of class ridicule, um, this math teacher begins a process of engaging Jeff and explaining to him the path that you're on is going to lead to a lot of destruction in your life. You're headed in the wrong direction. He, he just infused this boy with hope by showing him how much you could become, the gifts that you've been given, and yet you were moving in the wrong direction, the wrong path. And what he did is, This teacher, this math teacher in a junior high moved into this boy's life and all the cracks that were in it, he filled it with hope. And he said, you know, really, this was a huge turning point in my life. Never again did he ever cheat. And he he realized a very significant lesson that you can move into the life of another person and make a significant difference. And he wrote 10 years later after that event, he became a Christian. And what that math teacher did took on a whole different meaning. Friends, I want you to never underestimate how God can use you in the life of another person. What is it, friends, that God really desires from us? What what does he desire? What does he want? God, God wants us to be, first of all, he wants us to be redeeming the lost. He wants us to involved in their lives to share the good news, the gospel of Christ, I mean, Jesus is everything to us, isn't he? And we want people to know him. That's why we talk to the people about him. But also, we realize that not only does God want to see people come to a saving relationship with his son, God wants the mature, the the Christians, to mature. He wants those who have been rescued to actually grow and mature and receive the fullness and experience it of Christ. And so that's what we are as Christians. We're involved in engaging the lost with the good news of Christ, and we're about building disciples. But there is one other thing that God is critically concerned about that I think we forget about, and that is God wants us to return the straying. The people that have kind of fragmented, they're they're off course. They've left the fold. They're trying to walk away from God. They're trying to go back to do life on their own. We're to be involved in the rescue operations and bringing these people back. Casting Crowns uh, has a song that you perhaps heard on the radio, and it it always just kind of catches me every time I hear the lyrics. It just says, she is running 100 miles an hour in the wrong direction. And then the chorus goes into, does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? Or does anybody even know that she's going down today under the shadow of our steeple? 
with all the lost and lonely people searching for the hope that is tucked away in you and me. But does anybody hear her? Can anybody see? In essence, the song asks, do you even care? Who cares about those who are straying? Who cares about the lost? Let me tell you who it is. It is those who are maturing in their faith in Christ. If you want to know what this looks like, you want to have your Bibles open to the final two verses of the book of James. Because he's going to show this exactly what this looks like, this incredibly valuable ministry of going and returning the straying back to the grace and the goodness and the love of God. He says in just two verses, he ends this book by saying, verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He he ends this with just this final note of love. My brethren, my fellow brothers. He says, if any among you strays from the truth. That that word stray, it's the Greek word planao. It's where we get our word planet from. And see, what would happen is you're standing on earth and when you look at the planets, the planets, they actually look like wandering stars. They don't follow the normal course like The rest of the stars that are so far away, they just seem to follow a steady pattern. They're on course. But they would observe that there are these certain stars that they called Tanao, these planets. They're wandering. They're not on course. They're they're all over the place. They kind of move every single night. And so he's using that word. If any among you strays from the truth, if any of you are wandering. And there's a lot of reasons why people wander. I'll tell you, it comes in two major forms. They, first of all, they, they, they have wrong beliefs, wrong views and beliefs about God, about his word, about what it means to be a Christian, what's, what it is to walk in the Holy Spirit. They get off on some sort of doctrine that is perhaps even contrary to the scriptures, and they start wandering. But another way that's very common where people start wandering is just how they live their life, their practice. And what kind of happens is that In the life of a believer, something sets in, and this is generally a process, where they once were walking, walking in the newness of life, walking in the joy of the Spirit, walking with God and his people, and then all of a sudden they start fragmenting, and they go in different directions. And this, this wandering can take place for a variety of reasons. They could become distracted. There's something that just anything, anything or anyone besides God, all of a sudden their focus is off, and they get they just follow that. Or perhaps they become disillusioned. You see this with people. They, they believe that God needs to work it out, a certain situation, just the way they want. And if it doesn't happen that way, they think that they've got a problem with God. God let me down. And so they become disillusioned. God didn't do it on their terms, their way. And so they feel like, well, I'm just going to show God. And they kind of pull out. And they go move on to their own course. And the things that are healthy in their life like being involved with other believers, being in the word, praying, they, they stop. They become disillusioned. Some of them become disenfranchised. They feel like uh, other people have let them down. And so what happens is they, they feel like they're rejected, and so they just isolate, they break off, and they start wandering. Some people, they feel discouraged. 
despondent. And, they, and what happens is they're, oh, life is so heavy. I'm so sad about this. And, and they just keep turning these issues over and over in their mind. And what happens is they just start checking out. They just start wandering. Others, they, they have a sense of displeasure with other people. Someone makes them mad. Someone has kind of ticked them off. And like, well, they're, they're in the church. Well, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm leaving. I'm going someplace else. I'm going to do my own church at home or whatever. And what happens is they break off. They, they have a problem. They didn't resolve it biblically. They did not engage the other person. They didn't really pray about it. They're just mad. And what happens is their displeasure moves them to a point where they just start become a wandering star. Or, or just let me give you another one. You just become flat out defiant. You are believing that God and his word now becomes secondary in your life. Self is the dictate and the compass by which you follow, and you just, you just move out on your own. A self-centeredness creeps in, and what happens is you just kind of move away. And you might even present yourself as a real spiritual kind of guy or gal, but in reality, you're wandering. And so it's kind of like Demas. You remember Paul at the end of his life? He's saying that for Demas, having loved this present world has what? He's deserted me. He just left. Friends, this is a real issue. This isn't like, well, maybe one or two. This is a huge issue in churches all across America. It's an issue even in our church. There are people that are literally wandering, that once were a vibrant part of this fellowship, that are just out there. They are just, we don't even actually even know what's going on. James says, you who are spiritual... You need to go after them. They're straying. They strayed from the truth. Bring them back. Friends, there is something in each one of us that it, it just it desires that when we're hurt or we're discouraged or whatever, to pull away, to pull back, to even get involved with behaviors that are going to ultimately harm us. Um, I, I don't know what it is, but it's the residual aspect of our flesh that has a way to be drawn to things that eventually will great, create great wreckage in our life. There was a uh, Bible student by the name of Eric Am- Amundsen. Uh, he was from Chicago, from the, the suburbs around there. He went to Quito, Ecuador for a year for a, to be a part of a Bible college there. And while he was there, uh, he and some of his buddies uh, had an opportunity to go to a bullfight that was taking place outside of, outside of Quito there. So they, uh, they went there to kind of take this all in, get the full experience of the country, of Ecuador, right? And, and uh, the guy that was announcing the bullfight made this statement saying, hey, if any of you would like to come, uh, come out into the ring and get a little closer to look at the bull, now would be a great time for you to do that. Well, 18-year-old Eric's like, oh, yeah, man, you only live once? I'm fast. This would be great because he has this sense of adventure about him. So he... Uh, he told apparently his buddies his plan was to go slap that bull on his backside and run back before that bull had any idea of whatever happened to him. Well, so here he comes, our little amateur bullfighter, and he jumps into that ring and he's making his way. Now, he's pretty confident that he's got this because the bull's looking in that direction and Eric's coming from behind him. What he didn't realize is a bull has kind of like a sixth sense, like a mother, okay? And, you know, Eric's kind of making his way. The crowd's all watching this. That bull turns around on him. And comes charging. Well, our amateur bullfighter, he sticks out his hand like, stop, right? You know, and, and just like in the cartoons, he's the bull's supposed to stop, right? Oh, no. At impact, 
that bull takes him, flips him up onto his head, and then that bull flips Eric, where Eric Lau lands on his neck, and he's down there, and then that bull charged him, gored him in the leg. By the time they were able to rescue our little Bible college student down there, he's all bloody, his legs all gored up. They had to haul him off to a hospital. This boy spent months in recovery. His pastor eventually was able to link up with him like, what in the world are you thinking there, young man? And this is what he said. You know what? I was foolish to think I could get away with it. I guess I just thought I could get close and then run away. I was wrong. There's something in each one of us that thinks that we could get close. And we have the idea it's not, well, I, I can do this. It's not a big deal. I'm, it's all, I'm all under grace, right? Jesus has forgiven me of everything I've done, past, present, and future. And here I go right into the future sin. And we something about it. We're drawn to evil, drawn to wrong, drawn to stray. Friends, this is happening. What are we to do? God in his word says this. The mature in Christ are committed to the spiritual maturity of others. We are to be involved in the rescue of the perishing and the return of the wandering. And so he says, verse 19, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth. You see, the mature in Christ realize this. They realize the role of truth in the life of a believer. God has given us this book, and it is more to be than a household decoration, like a little coffee table. Like, I think I'll put this on there to look real nice, real spiritual. God wants his people regularly engaged in his book because transformation comes through the application of God's truth. This is how it works. God uses his word and his spirit to bring about growth and maturity in the life of a believer. If you do not have his word regularly flowing through your life, you are short-circuiting the process for growth and maturity. It would be the equivalent of saying, well, you know what? I want to have a real healthy life, but I think I'm just not going to eat anymore. Or I'll just take a nibble maybe once a week. Friends, health is going to be rather elusive if you don't have an intake of God's word. That's why he says in the text, if any among you strays from the truth, if you've moved away, if you've wandered from the truth, that's where ruin takes place. You see, what takes place is when God uses his word, what takes place in our life is that change takes place in three different areas. First of all, our comprehension, what we know. The Bible actually informs us of the way life really is, who God is, who Christ is, his work, what sin is. The world, its past, its present situation, its future, it tells us everything we need for life and godliness. God has written it down at great human cost, by the way, so that you and I will have copies of what he has said so that we'll be able to apply it to our understanding. But that's not where it's supposed to stop. And many people stop right there like, well, I just know a whole lot about the Bible. I know all the Bible stories. I've seen them in flannel graph. And you think that that's what maturity in Christ is, when in actuality, it's not. From your comprehension, there comes convictions. It's what we believe, our beliefs, our attitudes, our values. God shapes what we truly believe, what we're going to fall on the sword for, what we, what we absolutely say is true, and that they are our convictions in life. And from our convictions, then, comes our conduct, our, our change of behavior, how we behave. It's all sourced in what we know about God coming from his word, our convictions, and it changes how we live our life. 
If you have been a Christian for several years now, your life should look differently because of the presence of Christ in you and the reality of God's word being lived out in your life. And so, friends, that is why we encourage each one of you to be self-feeders of the word. Yeah, it's real cute when you got a little baby and you're like, here comes the food and you do the little airplane game, right? But it's not so cute if you got a 17-year-old there. Come on, Johnny. I won't have to wrestle again. Take another bite here. No, something's wrong with that picture, isn't it? You know what's wrong? By the time they're 17, they should be eating by themselves. Or three or four, right? Same with the word. God intends for us. Friends, you can do this. You're smart. Almost everyone in this room knows how to read. And you can open up this book. And you can begin to read. And you can study. That is why, by the way, we teach through books of the Bible here at Fellowship. We know that transformation comes through God's revelation. We want you to know what God has said, not just some cute ideas that some pastors came up with. We want you to be engaged with the truth. These people have wandered away from the truth. They no longer have truth informing their decisions, and their life begins to look like it. Remember what Jesus said? Real simple. Matthew 4, 4. Man does not live on bread alone, but by what? but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how he began his ministry. You know how he ended his earthly ministry? He had that prayer, John 17, where he's, he's praying to the Father. And in John 17, 17, he says this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God, I'm asking for my people that they would be set apart to their truth. And your word is that truth. I want them set apart too. James obviously caught the message. This pastor in Jerusalem, that's what the book of James is all about. It's all about helping believers throughout the Roman Empire grow into maturity in Christ. That's why the Spirit of God has given us this book. It's the first book given in the New Testament. It is given to the saints of every generation so that you and I will mature in our relationship with Christ. And that is the theme of the book. Maturity matters. And you have the outline in your notes there, but this, is, this book is pretty simple to outline. Chapter 1 gives us the mindset of those who have their faith in Christ and who are maturing in that faith. Chapter 2, remember, we walked through each one of them. He gives seven obstacles to a maturing faith in Christ. He says, you don't get over one of these. You don't make it through. Maturity is elusive, and it will not be a reality in your life. And he spells it out in, in rather just very direct fashion. And then finally, he ends the book, beginning in chapter 5, verse 7 through the end. He tells us the means to maturing in our faith in Christ. Friends, you don't want to let the world conform you into its image. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12? Do not be conformed to this world. Who's he writing to? He's writing to Christians. Do not be conformed to this world. If truth, if you don't have a healthy intake of truth, you're probably well on your way on the course where that is actually happening. You are conforming to this world. Its values, it's, it's what, it, what it thinks is important, its goals. On the other hand, what are we to be doing? We are to be renewing our mind with what? Truth. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, the mature in Christ, they realize the role of truth. And when they see someone wandering, they're like, 
We've got to get them back and get them engaged with truth. But there's a second thing that people who are mature in Christ recognize, and that is they recognize the destruction of sin. And so that's what that's what James is writing. He says, my brother, if any of you among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, you actually engage and you turn him back. You need to know this, that you are going to verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of. Of sin, You see, sin is deceitful. It looks good on the outside. If sin didn't look good, it wasn't initially pleasurable, we'd have no problem. I could stand up here and say, friends, stay away from sin. It'd be like staying away from fire that burns you. And like, oh, yeah, I totally understand. I'm totally staying away. But it's attractive. There's something about it that says you want this. It'll give you fulfillment. It'll give you that that satisfaction you've been looking for. It's kind of like those little fireball candies. Have you guys seen those? You know, the big red fireball candy? And, and they are like fire engine red. You probably are seeing it right now. And you look at it and it's like, whoa. And you just want to put this in your mouth. And then and the next thing you know is if you, you taste it, right? You're like, whoa. And you realize that, hey, this is sweet. Oh, they've been telling me the wrong thing. That's why they're telling me not to eat these things and to be careful these things are actually really good. They wanted to buy them all and eat them at the store and stuff. That, and so you know what you do? Then you plop that whole thing in your mouth. And initially it's sweet. And then about, mm, about 15 seconds later, your mouth is on fire. <laughs> and you're spitting it out and you're eating dirt, trying to put some something in your mouth and get that. What is it? You know, and help. You know, because all of a sudden you realize that fireball candy, it really is a fireball. Initially it tastes real sweet. But it's going to wreak havoc in your life. Now, I give you that illustration. But there's plenty of folks, including myself, that could stand up and say, sin has huge consequences. And it hurts. And it brings wreckage. And that's what he is saying. Look, what you're doing is you're rescuing sinners from facing huge difficulties and hardship in their life. You remember what sin looks like, don't you? This is so critical. I love you so much. I do not want you falling into this. Remember, let's go back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, he spelled it out real quickly. I don't want you to forget this because, friends, this is happening all the time. Every day. It's going to happen today for sure this week. How does it work? Sin works like this. It it all gets started with a temptation. Remember verse 14, chapter 1? Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's one thing if the problem was out there. The problem actually is it resides within. There's something in us that is drawn to the wrong, drawn to the evil. Okay? And yes, it looks good and attractive out here. You don't see the hook and the worm. You just see the worm and like, oh, I'd be so good. I'd be so satisfied if I had that. He says, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. It begins with enticement. How does it end? Verse 15, entrapment. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin is the union of our will with uh, the lust that we're experiencing. We're like, (laughs) I want it. And you forget about the consequences. You forget about anything you've ever heard. You forget about God. You resist the, the urgings of the Spirit of God for you to flee and find the way of escape that is promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and you engage And it always brings forth death. Friends, I want you to remember it. It always brings forth death. Every time sin 
kills relationships, right? Sin destroys happiness. Sin ruins health. And let me tell you, sin breaks fellowship with God and others. And so what you want to do, if you really care about people and you really care about the mission of Christ, we have to engage these people that are moving in this path. They're wandering. Now, they're not going to call it sin. They're not going to say, you know, this is just an arrangement or this is just an alternative lifestyle. They're not going to call it adultery. They're not going to call it sin. They're going to say it's a mistake or it's poor judgment. The Bible says moving away from God's holiness and his holy word as he's revealed it is sin. It misses the mark. And the results are devastating. And so what are we to do with this? You see, the many of us folks that are in here, we who know Christ, we're growing in Christ, we're called to engage these people who are wandering. We realize the role of truth. We recognize the destruction of sin. And we reach out to the wandering with love. That's what we do. Why do we care about a believer that is totally wandering out there in sin? I'm going to give you two major reasons. Because of the love of the love for Christ. That's what Paul said. You want to understand my behavior. You want to understand why I run around, get beaten, take heat, and live difficult, live a difficult life for the gospel's sake? For the love of Christ controls us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. I am propelled, I am motivated, I am moved by a love for Christ. I will engage. But let me give you a second reason. We have a love for his people. We have a love for Christ. And we actually love his people. We have realized that love is just an emotion. Love is not like, well, I love this person here and I don't like this person. and I feel like I'm in love today and not tomorrow. We realize that love, actually, the kind of love that Christ has for us and that we are to have for others is a love of commitment. A commitment to do what is in the best interest of that other person. Now, I want to be real clear here. Going and engaging people who are wandering, Christians, this is messy. It is hard. It is difficult. I didn't have to tell you that. You could just think about, yeah, let's see here. I know I got a friend and and she's way out there. Yeah, and I'm going to go and try to talk to her about Christ and where she's at. And Yeah, I know how that's going to go over. It's going to be hard. It's going to mess you. Let me just tell you what this looks like from experience. Um. They're not going to return your phone calls or your emails. Um, They're going to try to hide. You see them in a store, and they're like, oh, I'm done shopping. And they're just moving out, right? They, they, you know, they want to keep it. I I, I had this once. I saw a guy. I mean, we're in in, in Walmart, and I'm not rarely, I'm rarely in Walmart. I turn and pick up, and there was a guy, and he saw me, like, and he picked up his phone, and he just walked right. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? Friends. Even though, and let me tell you why they're doing this, though, why they behave this way. They're often afraid. They're embarrassed. They are embarrassed by their situation. They're oftentimes very confused and can be quite hurt. And a combination of those emotions, and they're off kilter, and they're just like, it's like like Satan has been successful to bring them to a place of isolation. 
And then when believers try to engage, they're like, oh, man, I'm so embarrassed. This is terrible. I'm a 45-year-old guy or a 60-year-old person, and I've, I've done this. Oh, and I, I just got to get away. And so they, they're on the run. They're on the run. And what we need to do, though, we need to engage. And what does this look like? Can you give me an example of what this looks like? I'll tell you what this looks like. It looks like love with skin on it. That's what it looks like. There's a guy by the name of Ben Patterson. He writes in a book, um, he has made me glad of his six summers where he worked at a Christian conference center in California. And his job was to, he oversaw these junior high and high school kids. And he had a pretty responsible position, but he also kind of had a propensity about him that he just, he just couldn't pass up an opportunity to play a prank. And, uh, you know, and he just kind of had that in his system there. And he recalls one time where he was uh, chewing gum and he passed off a laxative gum to some of his fellow co-workers. Well, that had a pretty nasty effect on them, um, and they were realizing the uh, purgative effect of this uh, chewing gum that actually was a, um, uh, uh, a laxative. And so they were, I don't know if they were noticing that everybody but Benny is running to the bathroom every 10 minutes or not, but uh, Jim, his advisor and the guy who was the supervisor and running that camp, who reported to you for all six years, uh, sent him a message that I'd like to have a little chat. So the next day they have a chat and 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 Ben kind of you know he he's a little defensive like that you know and he was he kind of thought he was going to stand and hold his ground right and help Jim understand you know this isn't really that bad of a deal and by the way you know who are you to tell me what to do and so uh, then he makes his way into the room there and there's this long awkward pause and then Jim his supervisor just kind of looks up at the ceiling. And he whispers, Benny. And Ben's looking at him, and he, he sees there's, there's tears coming down Jim's face. And he, and he says, Benny, he whispers it again. He says, when he did that, all of a sudden all my arguments vaporized. And then his supervisor, Jim, had an opportunity to talk with him because he loved him about impulsiveness and vindictiveness and the meaning of Christian community and the responsibilities that go with leadership. And he says, you know, even though it was a very hard thing for me, I learned a lot by this man engaging me in that way. That's how we go. You know when ministry begins? In every arena, especially in this arena of going and pursuing those who are wandering. Ministry begins when we begin to move away from just thinking about us to the point where we are looking to meet the needs in others' lives through the power of Christ's love working in us. Friends, if you don't care, who does? It's kind of like that guy who uh, was a young man applying for a job as an usher at a movie theater. And the manager said, all right, so um, it's a young man. Uh, listen, what happens if there's a fire? Oh, young guy, don't worry about me. I'm sure I'll be able to get out just fine. Uh -uh. Friends, that's the point. We think like, what if there's trouble? Don't worry about me. I want to be just fine. The reality is, you are an usher. It's not, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to be all right. You're going to do just fine. It's what about the others that are locked in there? We've got to be willing to engage. You see, that's what James is saying. You do this, verse 20, 
He who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death. Did you see that? What is he talking about there? Saving them from a premature death under the disciplining hand of God. Does God do that? Even to fellow believers? He would end their life prematurely? Well, he wanted to make that real clear. So remember how like the book of Acts, the early history of the church? Remember you get to about Acts chapter 5, you have a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And they thought they could pose themselves as the great givers of all their money when they had sold this land. In reality, they were putting on a big show of deception. And God said, I will not have it. And their lives ended. Need another example? You only have to go to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Paul writes this. Hey, when you come to communion, when you celebrate the Lord's Supper and you remember Christ's death, he says, when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you're to do it in a worthy manner. On the other hand, you, however, are doing it in an unworthy one. And so he says in verse 31 in chapter 11, or 30 in verse, chapter 11, he says this. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number sleep. It's a euphemism for death. He says, when you and I engage and help these people, we are helping them and perhaps even sparing them from a premature death. And then notice what else he says. And when we do this and we will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This idea of covering of sins, this is the Old Testament image of sins that are forgiven. What we do is we engage and we help these people realize the great immense love of Christ for his people. How his death on that cross covered and paid for all of our sins. And what happens is we who are spiritual, we move into the lives of those who are wandering and we help them realize how much Christ loves them, how significant their sin is, but yet how great and even greater is God's forgiveness that is found in Christ. That is what we do. We move in. And seeking the lost is what Christians do. You know, it's not that we sweep this under the carpet like, oh, don't worry about all the things that you did and how you, you, you were mean or you were sinful or you were wrong or you expressed your anger. We don't just ignore it. We don't sweep it away. We deal with it. We call a spade a spade. It is sin. But there's always a solution to sin. It is the Savior. And we help these people at a heart level experience God's forgiveness and grace and coming back. But that's God's nature to seek and save the lost, right, and to go after him. Remember, Jesus gave illustrations about lost sheep, lost coins, lost people. What do you do? You help them get back to where they are supposed to be. But, friends, in order for this to take place, you've got to be connected. If you know Christ, let me just tell you the reality is that you've been brought into his body. You are one of his family, one of his children. You've been adopted into his family. But you have to be known. A church the size of fellowship, you could show up here and you can almost remain anonymous. That is not biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is that you are engaged in the lives of other people. And so what happens is you have to be known. You actually have to have what is called a friend. You're like, I really like a friend. How, how could I get one? I'm going to give you two words that will really help you and I build friendships. Ask questions you ask questions you be interested involved in their life and what happens is that you 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 develop a sense of connectivity you're engaging you're a part of this these other people but you know what i was talking with a pastor friend of mine down in temple he says it is surprising to me how people can be involved in a church for like 15 years and not have a single friend and he says you know and then they what they do is they say ah, everybody's totally unfriendly and no one cares 
He said, you know, I'd heard enough of this. I asked him, hey, have you ever in your whole time here ever invited someone to your home? No. Really? You've never? And really, that's the case. We think everybody's just got to reach out to me. In reality, people that are reaching out, being, being reached out to, are the ones that generally have started the process and started engaging. You've got to realize that you are part of a body and a family, and you've got to be connected. It's kind of like um, your finger. What does your finger do? How does it respond when it's cut? Anybody know? It goes, help, help me. I'm bleeding. I'm making a mess. This is painful. Help me. And what happens is all the other parts of the body, the brain, the eyes, the fingers, the other, they all kind of help. You know what? They bring about a healing process. That's what it's supposed to look like in the church. On July 28, 2002, there was an event that took place. It's called the Miracle at Kew Creek. There were nine miners that got trapped 240 feet underground, and they remained there three days, bad enough being trapped, but they were actually surrounded by water that was at 55 degrees, and they were slowly dying by hypothermia. And yet these miners, all of nine of them said, hey, we're either going to live together or we're going to die together, but we're going to be together. And so what they did is they huddled up, and they just held each other close, and they lived like this for three days. And they said... Uh, when someone just got cold and was starting to give up, they moved the guy from the outside and they put him in the inside and they'd warm him up. And they all took turns being strong. Friends, when you and I are weak, call out for help. There is a part of responsibility that you have as a part of the body. When you, would you care enough about the condition of your soul and the health of this body to say, hey, I'm struggling here. Can you pray with me? Can you talk with me for a little bit? You see, that's what we are to do. When there is a lost sheep, what do you do? You leave the 99 in the mountains and you go find that one who is missing. And so what we are to do is we need to learn to pursue those who have wandered away. What does this look like? It looks like this. Those who are mature in Christ are committed to the spiritual maturity of others. And why do we do this? Why do we care? Because Christ is our head and we are forever a part of his body. We have started this together. We're to finish it together. And those who are mature in Christ, we are absolutely committed to the spiritual maturity of others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the power of these words in this amazing book, the book of James. Lord, I pray that you would put in our hearts just a great love for you that is just never satisfied until it is just fully embracing all that we have in your son, Jesus. And Lord, would this great love spill out to a great commitment and a concern and a love for others. And we who are in the process of reaching out to the lost seeing the mature, the disciples mature, would we also be concerned about restoring the wandering one back to the fold? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. May your words be the reality of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.